So last week, uh, we spent our time together unpacking who God is. We said that there are lots of passages in the scriptures that describe the qualities of God, that he is loving, patient, kind, merciful, forgiving, and relentless. Uh, These are all found in the scripture, and they're helpful for us to consider as we aim to imitate him. These qualities help paint an accurate picture of God. And if you remove any of these qualities or these attributes, the picture of him will be incomplete at best and misleading at worst. We tried to dig deeper into the foundational pursuit of who God is, past his qualities and into his nature, and we established that at his core, God is a family on mission. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, working together in perfect unity to restore the relationship with his creation that was fractured at the beginning. In this mysterious, godly community known as the Godhead or the Trinity, there is complete unity and harmony. There are no solo acts. No one's trying to hog the spotlight or steal the show. They are in complete lockstep with one another. And we said that this is instructive for us to consider because we don't always see God like this. Our tendency is to avoid the mysteriousness of God's three-in-oneness and focus on each individual member of the Trinity all by themselves. The danger in this is that when we fail to consider how their relationship drives them to accomplish their mission, we too may be tempted to ignore that the fact that, that we are to function together for the purpose of accomplishing our mission. And when we do that, we get out of lockstep with one another, and ultimately we can get out of lockstep and out of unity uh, with God. Today I would like to shift uh, from the question of who is God to the equally important question, so who does that make me? And, and here's the thing about this particular um, question. It's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Uh, it's it's dangerous because it's volatile. In 2020, everyone seems to want to have a say in who you are. The fact is, very few people are confident in their identity. And the problem with that is this. The world around us realizes that that is the case, that we, you know that we don't really know who we are. And they are all too eager to try to define our identities for us. So think about it like this. Uh, to Walmart or to McDonald's or to Amazon, you are little more than a consumer. I am little more than a consumer. In, in 2018, advertisers spent $205 billion, it's a billion with a B, billion dollars to persuade us that we need their products. Amazon alone spent $8.2 billion dollars. Why is that? Because to these companies, we are wallets. We are credit cards. We are dollar signs. We are consumers. Maybe to your boss, you are basically just a plumber or basically just an electrician or basically just an accountant or an RN. And unless you're one of the blessed few, to your employer, 
Your value is connected to your productivity. Your identity is tied to what you do. You're the person we call uh, when our computer crashes because you're the computer person. Or you're the guy we call when our toilet backs up because you're the plumber. Or you're the lady we call when we need a haircut because you're the stylist. To politicians, we are a vote. Our identity is tied to what voting block we belong to, whether that's black or white, straight or homosexual, conservative or liberal, rich or poor, educated or simple. Sometimes we're even identified or defined by those closest to us. You're Billy's mom, right? The one who brings snacks of orange slices and grapes to the team after the game. Or you're Sarah's dad. You know, you coach her little league team, right? Or you're Tracy's husband. Or you're Paul's wife. And here's the problem with letting any of these things define us. When tragedy strikes or when obstacles come our way and our identity is rooted in any of these things because we let the world around us define who we are, those tragedies and those circumstances, they'll devastate us. They'll destroy us. They'll send our lives into a tailspin because they are not firm foundations. And if you've been alive for any length of time, you know that tragedy and obstacles will come. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. So think back to the clip that we just watched a moment ago from, uh, from The Lion King. See, tragedy strikes, Mufasa dies, and the villainous Scar uses that tragedy as an opportunity to blame and confuse Simba. What have you done, he asks. No one ever means for things like this to happen. But if it wasn't for you, he would still be alive. What would your mother think? What is Scar telling Simba in the midst of this tragedy? Well, he's telling Simba the same thing that our enemy tells us when tragedy or hard times strike us. You are a failure. Run away. You have failed. You've done it again. This is all your fault. Run away. But what we see in the scriptures is much different. When we look there over and over and over, we see God pursuing a relationship with his creation. Time and again, as the story unfolds, you see the unmistakable signs of the creator wooing to, appealing to his creation so that our fractured relationship might be restored. There's a word in the scriptures that describes this kind of relationship, and that word is covenant. And at its core, a covenant is an agreement between two parties or two people, and it involves promises on the part of one to the other. Marriage is an example of this kind of relationship. The covenant relationship between God and his people is one of the most important theological truths of the Bible. And God didn't establish a contract with his people. He established a covenant. And there's a big difference between the two. So if if you have a cell phone and you entered entered into a contract with either AT&T or Verizon or T-Mobile or whoever, and that contract is an agreement between you and that provider around services, 
You entered into an agreement with your provider, and what you agreed on is they are going to provide for you a certain amount of data and a certain amount of cell service, and you were going to give them money in return. That's a contract. You are not in a relationship with AT&T. You are under contract with AT&T. And here's why that matters. If either of you stop, the contract will either be renegotiated or it will be voided altogether. So if your phone stops working, okay, maybe you stop getting uh, cell phone uh, reception or you can't send text messages and for the next 18 days that's something that you're living with and you get a bill in the mail, are you going to pay it? Well, of course not. You're not going to pay for services that you didn't receive. And you can be sure that if you stop paying your bill, AT&T is going to cut you off. They're not going to continue to provide something that you are not paying for because that's how contracts work. But contracts and covenants are different. God didn't enter into a contract with humanity. Over and over we see God inviting humanity into covenant with him. Covenants contain language that's far different than contracts. The vows we exchange in marriage ceremonies aren't contractual, they're covenantal. They sound like this, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer. And I can promise you AT&T is not going to say that to you. That's covenantal language. I give myself to you, you're giving yourself to me, regardless of the goods and services, for better or for worse. If everything goes great, I'm in. If we, you know, in marriage, if, if we get together and, you know, a few years into it, there's some crazy in you that I didn't see when we were dating, that's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to you. I'm giving myself to you regardless of the circumstances. That is a covenant. And God made a covenant with Noah, and he promised that he would never flood the earth again. God made a covenant with Abraham, in which he promised to make him into a great nation, and through him, God would bless the entire world. God made a covenant with Moses after he freed his people from slavery, and then he gave him the Ten Commandments to keep them from stumbling back into rebellion and sin. God made a covenant with David, and he promised that he, God, would build a dynasty through David's lineage and establish a kingdom that would endure forever. And to top it off, God established what we call the new covenant, and he opened it up to anyone who would turn to him. And it was established on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And under this covenant, God would write his laws on our hearts, not on stone tablets. And it would do something that the old covenant could not do, remove our sin and clear our consciences. The new covenant wasn't sealed with the blood of an animal like the old covenant established with Moses had been. Instead, it was sealed with the blood of Jesus himself. We remember this truth every time we gather together on Sundays and take the Lord's Supper together. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. God revealed the blessings of the new covenant long before it was put into effect. God described this coming better covenant to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah like this. He said, this is the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive them their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The fact is, God created us for a relationship with Him. And this new covenant put into effect through Jesus restores our fractured relationship with God forever. Our identity is rooted in Jesus. With this new covenant comes not only the forgiveness of our sin, but also the promise that God's Holy Spirit would come to live in His people Writing to the Ephesian church, Paul said this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you, literally changed your identity. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. See, God designed us for our relationship with him. And since the very beginning, God has pursued humanity, inviting us back into a relationship with him through his covenants. In this new covenant, we are not only in a relationship with God, we actually become his children. John the Apostle put it this way. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When we enter into a covenant with God, He becomes our Father and we become His children. And because He is our Father, we desire to obey Him. As we walk with Jesus, we do not obey God's commands to become His children. We obey His commands because we are His children. The relationship drives our obedience, not the other way around. But here's the crazy thing. God isn't just our Father. It just so happens that our Father is also the King of the entire universe. Psalm 47, 6 and 7 say, Sing praise to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Psalm 45, 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Finally, Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. God is most certainly our Father, but our Father just so happens to be the King of the universe. We are our Father's children. And we are also the king's ambassadors. We love and obey our father and we respect and represent the king well. Saying yes to God as your father means to also say yes to God as your king. And as children of the king, the fact is that that is our true identity, but it can, it can be a little bit challenging, right? We can sometimes feel a little bit out of our element. I mean, after all, being a part of a royal family is a big deal. Representing the king is a big deal. It's serious because how we choose to live reflects the king. And if that seems scary 
or overwhelming, I, I want you to take heart because here's what you need to know. Where the king's ambassadors go, his power goes too. Where the king's ambassadors go, his power goes with them. When you say yes to a covenant relationship with God, we are responsible to represent the king and his kingdom, but he empowers us to do exactly that. So let, let me give you just a really practical example of what, of what that looks like. This is what representing the king looks like in our daily lives. One time Jesus was asked uh, an important question uh, by one of his first followers. Matthew records the exchange this way. Uh, I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, uh, and this is in the uh, Passion Translation. It says this, Peter approached Jesus and said, How many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times? Jesus answered, Not seven times, but seventy times seven times. The lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. There once was a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with each of them. As he began the process, it came to his attention that one of his servants owed him one billion dollars. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as a payment toward his debt. The servant threw himself face down at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time and I will repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him saying, You better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, Please be patient with me. If, if you'll just give me time, I will repay you all that is owed. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. When his associates saw what was going on, they were outraged. And they went to the king and told him the whole story. The king said to him, You scoundrel! Is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed to you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debts were repaid. In the same way, my heavenly Father will deal with any of you who do not release forgiveness from your heart toward a fellow believer. You see, the king in Jesus' parable is a forgiver. He's a debt canceller. He's generous and he is compassionate. But he's also just. The servant failed to represent the king well. The servant was not a debt canceller. 
He was not generous. He was stubborn and hard-hearted and cruel. Because of that, he got to experience the justice of the king firsthand. And there's a simple truth to be gleaned from Jesus' parable here. Our father, the king, values forgiveness. After all, he forgave all of us all of our massive debts. And he expects us then to represent him well and do likewise. Jesus put it plainly. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Guys, and here's the thing. Forgiveness can be hard, right? But God's power to forgive is made available to us when we choose to forgive someone who has wronged us. And as we've said every week in this series, following Jesus is hard. When we sign up to follow him, we're signing up to do something that's hard. He's going to insist that we do all kinds of hard things as we walk with him. And and here's the, the fact, too. We're going to face tragedies and obstacles of all kinds along the way. But we can rest assured that when he commands us to do something hard, or he leads us through something that's challenging, his power is made available to us because the king's power accompanies the king's ambassadors. Remember what Paul told the Corinthian church about this? You see, he said this in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He's speaking about his relationship with God. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The turning point, I think, in the Lion King was when we see uh, kind of a grown-up Simba wandering around and, and he encounters the wise old monkey Rafiki. And Simba asks the, the monkey Rafiki, he says, well, who are you? And Rafiki responds, well, the question is not who am I, but who are you? And Simba, kind of taken aback, he, he, he responds, well, you know, I've, I thought I knew, but I'm, I'm not really sure anymore. And Rafiki looks at him and he says, I know who you are. You are Mufasa's boy, and I can show him to you. Do you remember what happens next? Like Simba's in a, in a state of disbelief. But Rafiki leads him down through this winding path to this little brook. And Simba walks over to the water and he looks in. And right there, before his eyes, he starts to see where his reflection had been. He can start to see his father. And then on the clouds, he sees his father. And with a loud, booming voice, Mufasa speaks to his son. And he says this, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, no, how could I? You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more 
than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Fact is, we too are children of the king. And when you belong to the king of the universe, his extraordinary power is made available to you. And as we set out to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, it is critical that we understand the foundational truths that God is a family on a mission. He is three persons functioning in complete harmony as one. He is our Father and He is our King. We are His children and so we obey. We are His ambassadors so we will respect Him and represent Him well and we will respect His, His kingdom and represent it well. And when that's hard, He provides us the power to do exactly what we need to. So, who are you? Have you entered into the relationship that you were created for? Have you joined the covenant family of your heavenly Father? Are you a child of the King? Do your values reflect the values of the King? Are you serving the King in His kingdom? Do you represent Him and His kingdom well? Or, are you still on the run, being defined by any and everything but your Creator and your Savior? Are you still, like the double-minded man, unstable in all that you do? Or are you rooted in a firm foundation? Today can be the day that everything changes for you. You can identify with Christ because He first chose to identify with you. You can put Him on as your Savior and begin to follow Him by repenting of your sins and being baptized into Him. But just remember, it's going to be hard. But you will have the power made available to you to do hard things. You can join our covenant family and work with us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples by helping them, the people around us, the people that we come into contact with, the people that we love but are still broken. You can help them fall in love with the real Jesus. That's the invitation today.